as we go to our text this morning, we are still in the second day of Jesus ministering in the temple. Of course, this is Passion Week. On the Friday of this week, Jesus is going to be put upon a cross. And on that following Sunday, Jesus is going to rise from the dead. So these are just days before the crucifixion. Jesus had entered the temple area and had been exerting his authority as the Messiah. He had demonstrated his disapproval of the temple worship by overthrowing the tables of the money changers and driving out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. In addition, he had welcomed the blind and the crippled into the temple area and healed them. He was also teaching the people. This resulted in a direct conflict and confrontation with the temple leaders. The temple leaders challenged Jesus as to his authority. On what basis was he doing these things? They challenged that authority because they believed that Jesus was a blasphemer, that he was acting inappropriately. They rejected the idea that he was indeed the Messiah. That was the real issue. However, the Pharisees did not want to tip their hand to the crowd, nor their intention to ultimately put Jesus to death. Therefore, they masked their motives by asking Jesus a question. A question as to where did his authority come from. Jesus knew the wickedness of their hearts. He knew their intentions. And so he countered by asking them a question. Where did John the Baptist's authority come from? Was it from God or was it from man? They reasoned among themselves and they said to one another, we can't answer that he was a prophet from God because if we say that, then he's going to say, well, why don't you believe in him? John the Baptist had said that Jesus was the Son of God. John the Baptist said he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist said that he heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So we can't say that John the Baptist was a prophet, but then they reasoned among themselves, but we can't say that he wasn't a prophet, because all the people believe he was a prophet, and they were afraid of the people. And so they answered and said, we don't know. Jesus said, then neither do I tell you from where my authority came from. We pick up in our text at that point. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus now issues another question to these temple leaders. Verse 28 of chapter 21. What do you think? What do you think? He's going to ask their opinion on a parable that he's about to deliver. That parable comes in verse 28 and following. And I read, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. 
And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go in the kingdom of God before you. Jesus raises a question at the end of the parable. It's found in verse 31. Which of the two did the will of the, of the father? Their answer is this. Verse 31. They said, the first. That is, the one who said he would not go and later repented and went. They were correct. That is the one who did the will of the Father. I remember many years ago, all the way back to when I was in the Blandon Church, and there was a father and a son after church, and uh, they were a very godly uh, family. And uh, the father said to his son, about 10 years old, I want you to go out to the car and wait for me. He looked at his father and said, I'm not going. And then he laughed. And then the father laughed. And I thought, well, that's a bit odd. Uh, You know, this little defiant kid says, I'm not going. And then the father laughs and uh, the son laughs. And then the father told me that they had devotions. This week and just two nights ago, they had looked at this parable of the one who said, I won't go, but went. And the little boy went and he went laughing. He was happy. But he got the parable right. He understood the one who does the will of the Father is the one that ultimately, even though it says, I'm not going to go, goes. As opposed to the one who says, oh yes, I'll go, but never goes. The application. Verse 31. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go in the kingdom of God before you. Now that application might seem like it comes out of the blue. What in the world Where does that come from in relationship to this parable? What does that have to do with saying yes and not going and then repenting and then the one who says yes and doesn't go? Why would Jesus say such a thing? That the tax collectors and and prostitutes would enter the kingdom of heaven before the temple leaders. Well, the temple leaders, Pharisees, scribes, say that they're all about righteousness. They are represented in the parable as the one who says that they are doing the will of the Father. These are people that pride themselves in living righteously, in doing the right thing. However, Jesus is teaching that though they say that they are righteous, and though they are saying that they are doing what God would have them to do, in fact, are failing miserably. Failing miserably. They are not doing the will of God. And they had no excuse for failing to do so. It is illustrated in the fact that they rejected the teaching of John the Baptist, and they rejected the teaching of John the Baptist despite the fact that he came to them in living a righteous life. Look at verse 32. For, here's the reason. For, John came to you in the way 
of righteousness. The way of righteousness. The Pharisees did not like the way that Jesus conducted himself. They found fault with Jesus. They said that he broke the Sabbath by healing on the Sabbath day. They found fault with him overthrowing the uh, tables of the money changers. They thought that he was acting in an inappropriate manner. But John the Baptist lived the kind of life that the scribes and Pharisees pretended to live. They, he actually performed and lived righteously when they were not. In an informative passage in Matthew chapter 11, you don't need to turn there, just listen. Jesus said this concerning John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So the scribes and Pharisees were finding fault with both John the Baptist and with Jesus even though they were conducting themselves in quite different manners, in quite different ways. And yet they rejected the teaching of both. So why would the tax collectors and prostitutes enter the kingdom of God before the chief priests and Pharisees would? Answer, the tax collectors and prostitutes represent the son who initially refused to do the will of father, but changed their mind. They repented, if you will, of their sinfulness and now do the will of the Father. They had rejected the will of the Father by being prostitutes, by being tax collectors. You have to understand that in that New Testament era, a tax collector is far different than the tax collector in our day. A tax collector was paid by what they were able to solicit from individuals above and beyond that which the tax required. So they made their profit by requiring more than what the tax actually did. So let's say someone had to pay $10. Well, they may charge $11. They may charge $12. They may charge $13. There was no limit as what they could charge. They could charge as much as they thought that they could get away with. And they were corrupt. And they would lie about what the real tax was. And so they got to be hated. They were seen as the most corrupt peoples on the face of the earth. And then, of course, there were the prostitutes. But these individuals repented. They repented. Notice verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. They were baptized. 
by John the Baptist. They identified with the message of Jesus Christ. Remember, the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. They were acknowledging the sinfulness of their actions. They were identifying with the message that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, and they were being baptized. And because they were placing their faith in Jesus Christ, their sins were forgiven. And they were going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the Pharisees were refusing to be baptized by John the Baptist. They were refusing to identify with John's message. They were refusing to admit that they were sinners in need of forgiveness. And they were rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, the one who was the Son of God, the one who was the Lamb of God who'd take away the sins of the world. And notice verse 32. And the end, and even when you saw it, that is the repentance of the tax collectors and the prostitutes. When you saw the faith that they evidenced in John the Baptist and his message, and when you saw the change of their lives. Remember, it's thought that Mary Magdalene had been a prostitute. Levi was a tax collector. Here are people that their lives are changed, they identify with Jesus Christ, and now they are doing the will of God. Now they are acting in a godly manner. When you saw that, Jesus said, you still do not believe. Most recently, now it's been two weeks since we've been in this passage, uh, so uh, you may have forgotten, but most recently the temple leaders had confronted Jesus about his authority in doing these things. So notice with me verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I tell you, I will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you about why, by, by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? They discussed among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then you did not believe him? But if we say from a man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so, Matthew 21 and 26 and following, and so they refused and said, we do not know from where his authority came from. Okay? Though convicted, the temple leaders, they were dishonest. Jesus is pointing them once again to John the Baptist. Once again, this person that was a person of righteousness Once again, that all these people were believing in and their lives were being changed. And he pointedly said to them, where is his authority from? They were convicted. They knew if they said it was from God, then they had to believe him. If they said it was from man, they knew 
that the people would revolt. They all believed that he was a prophet. And so they lied and said, we don't know. And Jesus says, that's why the prostitutes, that's why the tax collectors are going into heaven before you. You're not even honest about your lack of faith and trust in me. You say, you say you are doing the will of the Father, but you know that you're not doing the will of the Father. They openly refuse to follow God. So the application of this passage is extremely simple and uh, relevant. Where do we stand in reference to this parable? What are we like? Are we people who say that we do the will of the Father and we should be accepted and that we should be welcomed into the kingdom of God? Are you expecting to enter heaven because of your goodness, because of your obedience to the commands of God? As you look at your life, you're saying, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. Maybe you're kind of weighing in a balance, and you're looking and saying, well, uh, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than this person over here. Uh, And anyway, I think I'm going to go, and I'm going to have eternal life. That person is lost. Anyone who trusts in their own righteousness for salvation is lost. They are the people that are saying, we do the will of the Father, but actually don't do it. We fall short. The Bible says every single person, other than Jesus Christ, has sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Therefore, every one of us has to be like the tax collector and the sinner. Every one of us has to repent. Everyone has to acknowledge our sin. Everyone has to say, yes, I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. God, forgive me on the basis of Jesus Christ. He's going to go to the cross. In our context, he has already gone to the cross. He has already risen from the dead, and he offers to us salvation. He offers to us forgiveness. If we simply repent of having not done the will of God, ask for forgiveness, and by the grace of God experience that forgiveness, and now seek to live our lives for him. The parable has significance, however, not only for eternal life, but for life right here and now. The reason that this parable makes sense and the reason why this parable is so easily understood is because it's true to life. The scribes and Pharisees had no problem in answering the parable. And interestingly enough, they were not afraid to answer this parable because they didn't see it as tricking them or in any way obligating them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So they openly said, Well, the one who did the will of the Father is the one who repented and eventually did what the Father wanted him to do. So moving from the lesser to the greater, people who say they're going to do something and don't do it are in the wrong. Let me say it again. 
People who say they're going to do something and don't do it are in the wrong. A husband, a wife, a child, when asked to do something, may say yes, but if they put it off and never do it, they're in the wrong. It's not in the saying yes, it's in the doing of it that's important. We may want to placate someone and say yes to something that we have no real intention of ever doing. That is wrong. Better to say, I'm not going to do it and repent and later do it than to say, yes, I will do it and never actually get it done. It is more commendable to say no and then change your mind than to say yes and never do it. There's a lot of practical application in that simple truth. We can learn a lesson from the Pharisees in failing to respond truthfully because we are worried about what people will think. They say that they are not willing to say that John the Baptist is not a prophet, even though they don't think he's a prophet. But they don't say that because they're afraid of what people think. Perhaps when people ask us to do certain things, we're afraid of what people are going to think about us. What are they going to think if I say no? What are they going to think of me if I'm unwilling to help, if I'm unwilling to participate? And so we may be tempted when someone asks us to do something, instead of saying no, we may say maybe. And if we're more spiritual, we may say, I'll pray about it. When in actuality, there's no real intention on our part to do it. It's a stall tactic. It's not having to deal with the pain of saying, I think I'm too busy. It's not something I'm interested in. It's not something I'm capable of doing right now. Whatever the case is, there is a temptation to say, that there is some hope of our doing it rather than simply being honest and saying, I have no intention of doing this. And so you got to wait for somebody for three weeks and then they come back to you and say what they intended to say all along. I'm not going to do it. Better to say, I'm not going to do it than to say, maybe or even I'll pray about it if that is not sincere. If that's not really the issue. Okay. Better to be honest. Otherwise, we are much like the Pharisees. But again, the primary application is a spiritual one. It's a spiritual one. Obedience is achieved not by professing obedience, but rather in actual obedience. It is not by saying we do the will of the Father, but it is by doing the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? But to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the will of the Father. 
that you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. He died on the cross. He rose again so that we could experience the forgiveness of sins. Have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Savior? And now I'm going to say very pointedly, it's not about whether you say you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's about whether you have. I, as a little boy, professed faith. I told my mother one night when she was praying with me and told me that I needed to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I bowed my head. I said I prayed. I didn't. I said I believed in the Lord Jesus. I asked him as my Savior. I did not. I was lost. I lied. I lied. There might very well be people here this morning that deep down inside, you know that you're not a Christian. Maybe your parents think you are. Maybe your friends think you are. Maybe your relatives think you are. But deep down inside, you know that you have not ever come to a place of really repenting, of really acknowledging your sinfulness, of saying, I need a change in my life. I need a new direction. And the only way that that can happen is through faith in Jesus Christ. Receiving that forgiveness of knowing that he died in my place, he bore my sin, and now wanting to do his will and his good pleasure. It's not whether you said that you believe, it's whether or not you really have. You really have. And the good news this morning is each and every one of us in this room can repent. Each and every one of us this morning, no matter what you have said in the past and no matter what you have done in the past, every single person here today can say, you know, I've done wrong, I've sinned, maybe I've lied even about being a Christian, but I can put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I can repent. I can be like the prostitute. I can be like the tax collector. I can say, Jesus Christ died for my sin. I can say, I want to trust in him and mean it and experience the forgiveness of sins. That's the person that's really born again. That's the person that has eternal life. That's the person that will enter the kingdom. That's the person who knows what it means to be saved. And so my simple, simple question to you to this morning is not whether you have said yes to Christ, but in actuality, have you really repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Are you like that prostitute? Are you like that text collector who experienced the forgiveness of sin, the real change of heart and mind? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that comes through us, through Jesus Christ, for all those who savingly place their faith and trust in him. Those who truly acknowledge their sinfulness, who truly recognize that apart from Jesus Christ, they have no hope of eternal life. They are going to be lost. It is not their righteousness that's going to save them. In fact, they have to admit 
that they are unrighteous and that they accept the righteousness that only Jesus can provide. They accept the forgiveness of sins and the newness of life that comes, that change in life that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that if there is anyone here this morning who has never, ever placed their faith in Jesus Christ in that way, that today would be that day. And I would just love to give you that opportunity this morning. If you're here and you have not asked Jesus to be your Savior, and you know deep down inside, maybe there's people here that think you have, and maybe you said you have, but you know deep down inside you never did. If that's you this morning and you want to experience the forgiveness of sins, would you quickly raise your hand just so I acknowledge it? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward or anything like that. But if you just raise your hand so I can see it, I can acknowledge it, anyone at all. Our Father, we pray. We pray for our congregation. We pray for uh, your will. And Lord, we pray for faith. Uh, we ask, O oh God, that indeed people will have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for their hope of eternal life. Thank you for your grace and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.